Welcome to the State of Sound podcast, produced by the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. A companion series to the blockbuster exhibit, The State of Sound, a world of music from Illinois. Now playing at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Welcome to the State of Sound podcast. I'm Lance Tauzer. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Maggie Brown, the daughter of Oscar Brown Jr. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. We are recording in our little studio within the gallery. We're actually hearing people sing along out in the gallery. That happens. Yeah. Um, it's it's a beautiful great, exhibit, you thank guys. You. If you haven't gotten in here, hurry up. I know, hurry up. We don't have a lot of time, but <laughs> oh, it's so well worth it. Thank so you. Well worth it. Uh, thank you. I'll pay you for that later. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was lovely. Um, you know, uh, the stories that we're trying to tell here are essentially the case that we're trying to make is that Illinois has offered the world some amazing music to to the soundtrack. Um, what what were some of your uh, of the artists that are from Illinois, other than maybe the one you're related to, yeah. who who are some of your heroes that have called Illinois home? Oh, definitely uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Curtis Mayfield, and um, you know, I, I because of the show that I'm here to do, uh, which is called Legacy: Our Wealth of Music. I um, tried my hand at delving in, you know, to the history and evolution of African American music. Um, and one thing I love about this is, yeah, everybody that Almost everybody that you'd expect to see, you know, showing up in this exhibit is here. Mm. I'm going to go back to, I bet the staple singers are in oh, there. Yes. Oh, yeah, Of course. And then, um, and then, you know, I got into rock and roll, cheap trick and all that stuff, you know. So it's really nice to put it all together, to have us really see, wow, even though people end up living on the coast and getting their deals and everything from either coast— a lot of that good stuff came from the Midwest. The Midwest and, you know, Chicago, Illinois has germinated um, a lot of what has made up the, the wonderful fabric of our, our music in America. I couldn't have said it better. Right, that's, and that's, that influences the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's our curatorial statement in a nutshell. <laughs> I love when we hear people singing hey. along with the videos. Uh, we divided this story into uh, 13 different music genres mm-hmm. uh, from all over for everything from gospel to house music to hard rock and everything else in between. And, um, uh, you know, Dave Hoekstra, my partner in this, has been a huge advocate for uh, the music from the state and especially the music, uh, your father's music and yours as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really appreciate the fact that you've come from all the way down to Springfield to share your uh, talent with the people that will come and see you tonight. And I've got questions later in, in my uh my list here to ask you specifically about the show that you're doing, the legacy okay. show. Okay, so um, I want to start talking about your father, but then I'm going to pivot to you uh, okay. uh, coming up. So, um, you know, for the people that don't know who Oscar Brown Jr. is, how would you describe why he's important both musically and, and socially mm-hmm. um, for if, if somebody was walking up on the street and just didn't know anything about him, mm-hmm. how, you know, uh, you know, you're you're put on the spot. You know, you can't spend the next half hour telling right. me this you answer. Got your, what is it? What's, one what's minute, the, thirty second quick, yeah. elevator spiel. <laughs> right. Okay. So Oscar Brown Jr., uh, son of Oscar Brown Sr., who uh, came up through the Great Migration, uh, got his education and became a lawyer so that he could come and help black people get into business, and started having us living in condominiums when that was a pretty unheard of on the South Side of Chicago. Mm. And Oscar Jr., my father, was supposed to go 
follow in his footsteps and be a lawyer or real estate broker or something. But I read that. Yeah. yeah instead, the the writing bug bit dad. You know, he 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 probably said how he flunked out of several colleges, but he always enjoyed English lit and um, he did well with writing. Um, he did start out. Um, I think Oscar Brown Jr. definitely wanted to affect change, you know. And so he started out in politics, thinking that that might be the way that he'll be able to have his voice heard. Um, he didn't start really writing and getting into show business until well into his 30s. Um, by that time, he's on his second marriage, which was my mother, whose name was Maxine. And um, when he when he made it on the scene, <laughs> I say, um, I, my daddy always taught, if you want liberation, then you can't go along with the game. You got to use wisdom when making your decision. Don't trade your soul just for some fame. He was a wordsmith of rhyme. Mm. I can't even take the time to expose you to half of what he wrote. Let's just say, pick any subject of the day, and there's a song of my daddy's I can quote. Oscar Brown Jr. stood up for civil rights, and he didn't sell out for the fame. The man was a genius when it comes to making rhymes. I want to make sure that people know his name. That's yeah. brilliant. My That's sister brilliant. Africa Brown and I, um, I started it, and then she, like, fixed my poetry if I wasn't rhyming <laughs> exact enough because Dad was about that, and we like to follow in his footsteps in that way. But, yeah, just something to teach about him because, really, uh, he's an unsung hero. Oscar's stuff uh, wasn't published that long, you know, because he was, as they say, too outspoken. And so the record industry, you know, started being hands-off. And, um, and then he did not really... Uh, nothing worked out for his things to be really published, whether it was books of his poetry or more of his plays. or um, And therefore, when I see a beautiful exhibit like The State of Sound and so many documentaries, things um, showing uh, great people or big contributors from our state or our city, mm. I'm always kind of sad that dad is not in that. He, he ends up being in the category. They say, they say, oh, it's Curtis, and it's this one, it's that one, among many And there's so-and-so among many others. It's like, right. oh, yeah, so he just ended up kind of being among many others. They, they used to try to get Kurt Elling to, um, uh, they used to get, try to get Dad to do a concert with Kurt Elling on the Jazz Fest, or one time they were trying to redo Freedom Now Suite. Um, you know, we insist. <clears throat> Dad never would do it. You know, and, and it was, it's just like, you know, he kind of got passed over. But he was so brilliant and such a genius. And, I mean, he was prolific. So, um, did I answer the question? Yes. The father of seven, he ended up, you know, being married three times, father of seven. He was, uh, he was witty, and he also, he was about being hip. And he defined hip as human improvement potential. Mm. Right. So it wasn't he he was very strong about black folks and 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 putting things in terms that helped articulate how we might be feeling and help white folks better understand what they're observing and what's going on. But he just wrote about the world and about being human and about time. He had a great understanding um, of like just our relationship to time. Wow. And, yeah. Well, you know, he's he's known as a jazz singer, but. Really, he's been described, and in fact, his New York Times obituary referred to him as a blend of show business savvy and social consciousness. Uh, you just described a very complex individual <laughs> in a very short, and that was great. I was, I loved the elevator speech. I loved everything you have. It's, uh, and and there are a lot of people that always say. People should know about him. He should have been bigger in his time. Right. There's this sort of what if aspect to it that that's probably leaves you a little uh, with a lot of 
stress and pressure to sort of carry on this legacy, this this mantle. How how has uh, you and your other siblings? Mm-hmm. How, how have you dealt with with uh, you know sort of carrying that that torch? Uh, the the more time that goes by, yeah. the the further away we get from his right. living professional life. Right, right. The further we get away from his living professional life, and um, so one thing, I I had this vibe for a long time. Really, when I went into college, I I knew that um, I asked about Farm Aid, uh, part of the exhibit here, because yeah. I know that it was around my college years that there was a good portion of my family, not my father, but uh, his father and my other relatives, they're like, don't go to college and, you know, study music and show business. You see how unstable that is, you know, get a real <laughs> career, do that on the side. Right. So I thought I'd feed the world if I couldn't sing to the world. And uh-huh. I went downstate to U of I in Urbana thinking I'd study agricultural economics. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> I ended up uh, giving in to my real passion and I got to be in shows with my dad and, and just really sit at the foot of the master and watch him and help direct, you know, first sort of be in the show, but then learning how to help direct. And then even after he passed, being able to direct one of the big shows uh, after he was gone. Right. So my sister Africa and I, um, now we get to work with something called the Oscar Brown Jr. Archive Project. Oh. And I was starting to say how, yeah, I had been vibing it ever since college days that I knew much more should be made of his material. Okay, he's a gr- great artist, but he's not necessarily a great businessman, although he did do well, you know. But no, he needed someone else. Someone else has to do that part, right? right. So I used to feel like, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to understand the publishing. I'm going to understand what's going on with this stuff. We're going to figure this thing out and do it right. And he knows he was his his biggest uh, obstacle sometimes. <laughs> got yeah, Couldn't yeah. get out of his own way a sometimes, little bit. Sometimes, right, right. But... um Ever since I've, I've been putting it out there that, you know, this is what I want to do, that I would like to popularize it. I think that if people knew about what his material was and that they'd love it just like we do and like we've witnessed other audience people uh, enjoy it. So uh, I guess that vibe was out here long enough. And one day a man walked up to me um, and said, you know, I hear you're working with your father's papers and I'd like to see if I could be of some assistance. And that's uh, Mr. Dan Logan of the Ravada Foundation. And his family, his parents uh, made it so we have the Logan Center on the campus of U of C. So that was really a big thing. He had been a journalist, Mr. Uh, Logan, and he had had a chance to interview my father and had some respect for, you know, his work. And so he has been helping to uh, support that archive project that allows us to just organize, know what everything is. Um, uh, One of the groundbreaking things Oscar did early in his career was he created this musical called Kicks and Company. Right. So now by us doing everything that we're doing, whether it's the ephemera or the script or the score or the recordings or whatever we have, you know, if we put in kicks, everything that has to do with kicks, when daddy wrote about it, when he spoke about it, when because we want to have it all like that. And really, I know in my heart of hearts, I'd have me myself an Oscar Brown Jr. Museum and theater building right. or something, right? And we could just put it all out. But the goal is um, my house is definitely not big enough for a museum, so <laughs> we're going to have to find a nice, a good repository. But we right. want to know what it is, and we know that we're more so experts than anyone else on when he wrote that and what might have inspired that. And, oh, when that happened, I know that's when he went back and did that. And so, right. so no, no one else is going to know that. So we, uh, we're, we're blessed to be able to work on telling that story as part of our you know, work throughout the year. Well, you sound like a museum already. You're 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 creating relational databases. You're, I mean, this is what we oh do. We tell stories good. and we collect. Yes, yeah. I'm. Yeah, we're real 
Well, it's interesting you say that because I read this really interesting article that you gave in 2017 about how you and your family were sort of dealing with the amount of materials that kind of fell to you Mm -hmm. and the family dynamic that seems to always happen when somebody passes away. Let's face it. You see the best and the worst of everybody so when, when it those... comes out. <laughs> it hasn't ever. Right. It probably will then. Right. Yes. And get I... your house in order, man. Have your will. You know, put it down what you want, how you want things to go. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, uh, after you're gone, uh, things, situations could fall into the wrong hands. And your real family that has been working on the thing for decades and promoting and pushing it along and so forth yeah. gets like pushed out. For like a more than a decade, right? You talk about there being a new uh, this time span mm. from when he when he was active. To, yeah, we lost like over ten years because of because of legal madness, right. you know. And um, I'll just say it wasn't because of his blood, right? It was, but people couldn't get a hand, you know. They can just like get the upper hand if you're not careful. So even through that, that was very traumatic and long and expensive. Expensive. Oh, I'm sure. In many ways, but um, yeah, as of about 2018, we finally have you know control over you know where his royalties go and all that stuff, and it's it's wonderful that almost through osmosis he does still generate you know that's some money and stuff. Because imagine if we're really out there pushing it and plugging it. Speaking of which, OscarBrownJr.com. <laughs> we, Good we, plug. Yeah, Hold we, on. we 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 uh, produced that in 2020. Oh, oh, yes, either one. It's OscarBrownJr.com or OscarBrownJr.org, and that's just with the JR. But gotcha. those, um, that website is a, a great start towards something Daddy always wanted to see, and that was a, he wanted to have a cyberary. A he wanted, ci- cyberary is what he called it, and he wanted cyberary. all this stuff in, in his cyberary. Um, and so this website is about, you know, the start of that. It has a nice variety of things. We did five play readings of five of his plays, mm. including Kicks, at the Logan. Um, and so those are up and, and different things. And we'll be adding to it. Um, so Cyberary, he, he, he really, uh, cyberspace uh, gassed him out. You know, the, the invention of the Internet and the leveling of the playing field where he doesn't have to worry about some record label or somebody getting his stuff out. And he's like, we can just put it out and right. people have, attract people of like minds. He said it a zillion times if he ever said it. You know, he said, put the, he said, put the music out, you know, give it away for free. Free the music and the music will free us. He used to right. say that and say that people of like minds will come and, you know, t- you know, contribute or something, you know, but we won't. He didn't want to sell it by the note or nothing right. like that. He hated He didn't like the whole copyright thing because somebody could come along and claim that this is theirs when it was yours, but because they... Got the copyright, right? right? Plus the way the record labels did him from the 60s. He, he just didn't have a good taste in his mouth for that. But um, so, so he wrote uh, Cyberspace is a play song and, and a whole musical called Cyber Soul. Still was ahead of his time, even toward the end. And I, I really appreciated how honest you were in that article about all the things that you were wrestling with and, and then still keeping a mindset of what his wishes were and, and his values and stuff. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a torch you guys have had to sort of bear, you know, the, the idea of protecting it, but also uh, uh, honoring his it. wishes. Right, honoring yeah. his wishes and finding ways to proliferate it, but, you know, keep the integrity of what... What he saw, and he did group his stuff. He did leave some pretty, pretty specific instructions of how he thought of, you know, his body of work. Because um, when it comes to poetry, he had a category called long songs, and um, uh, also um, he'd write in sonnet form, real heavy. Wow, man, <laughs> man, man, man. Yeah. 
Um, I, I was going to ask you a little bit about the family dynamic, what it, mm-hmm. what it was like growing up in Hyde Park, mm-hmm. which is for those uh, that aren't from Chicago, it's a South suburb. Uh, no, Hyde Park's not, not a, a suburb. Su- south yeah. side of Chicago, south not a suburb. It's kind not of southeastish, you know, not yeah. far from the Museum of Science and Industry. That is true. That helps. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Not a suburb. It is mm-hmm. part of the city, but it's the south part of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you mentioned, is is one of the landing places for uh, the Great Migration, where people Absolutely. sort of, I don't want to say ended up, but that's where they they. You know, many came to settle here, right? Yeah, so if you would, sort of, what a little glimpse of what it was like being as part of this very dynamic family, as you mentioned, six siblings, seven children total. Mm -hmm. Um, what was what was life like uh, as a kid growing up essentially in the civil rights movement era? Yeah, it really was as far as when I was born, yes, because yeah, absolutely, I was smack dab in the middle of it. And 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 when I was born, I was you know so little that even though all this intense stuff is going on, you know, you can feel it anyway. No, yeah. something's up. Right. But they'd stop talking when you come in the room, wake the baby, you know, and just try not to scare scare her. But, I mean, you figure all all kind of assassinations and protests and everything. Right. Um, my father was working with the Blackstone Rangers in 1967. Yes, I was born by then. I was little, but I was born by then. And so, yeah, there was a lot going on. So now my nuclear household, my mother, Maxine, mm-hmm. she had four children. So there's a, three girls and Oscar the third who we affectionately called Bobo, right. Bo, Bo Brown, the bassist and singer <laughs> and the greatest brother ever. Um, so, yeah, there was uh, Oscar III, myself, my sister, Ayanta and Joan. So us, we were in the home. But then Dad had had a previous marriage, and we so I have an older sister and brother right. from Irene. And then my sister, Africa, that I talk about working with now, uh, her mother was Jean. And so it's funny, Oscar was such a poet. His wives were named Irene, Maxine, and Jean. Huh. Even that rhymed. I, we were like, really? That couldn't have been that. on purpose. Oh my goodness! No, somehow it just ended up that way. But um, you know, it was it was deep for us uh, because yeah, Dad was on the road. Uh, in fact, by the time I was coming along, I think it was known by my mother that you know he had taken up with Gene Pace, and um, so uh, yeah, after a while, he wasn't coming to the house no more. When he mm. came to Chicago, he wasn't staying with us anymore. And uh, so there was the broken, the broken homeness, yeah. and um, that was hard. And I remember feeling, realizing as I got older that, wow, I spent a lot of my childhood feeling very torn mm. because I would really want to go be with Dad and, you know, hang out with him because, of course, that was almost more fun and everything. Right, sure. And, but then I feel bad because I'm leaving my mom, and I know she's sad because where am I going? I'm going over to him with the other things. Seems like situation. betrayal almost. Oh, my yeah. God. And so yep, I remember just feeling real torn. And, uh, yeah. But— Eventually, uh, one thing that was beautiful, all of my siblings and I are close. We don't call each other step. You know what I mean? We don't even think of each other as step. No, there's seven of us, period, you know? And um, we're close. You know, we're in touch. And um, so, yeah, just about three of us, Oscar III, myself, Maggie, and uh, now Africa, um, have really, you know, went into it with Dad, um, my brother, was killed in 96 but in a car accident. Right. And then um, I have an older brother, David Napoleon Brown. He um, he was working as management when Dad passed in 05. So, you know, a few of us have had our hand in it, but, you know, uh, Bobo would have still been in it. And um, myself in Africa are here to carry things on and just performing, using the works to try to, especially he, one thing he really taught us was how to take this work and help it come to our economics, 
cultural and spiritual rescue, you know, mm-hmm. as far as young people not having something hip to be about. When he went in and talked to the uh, Blackstone Rangers, the first time he walked through the building and he saw these menacing looks and they're just, ugh. Mm. And he asked the guy, his escort, he said, well, he said, what? what are they thinking when they look at me like that? He said, thinking about offing you. He said, Ooh. for what? He said, just thinking about offing you. And dad was like, oh, yeah, I know we got to get something better on their minds. Uh, uh, let's <laughs> roll up my sleeves. And um, right. it, it changed the course of uh, his career and kind of the focus of his his his, his life uh, after he did that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's ways to use it, it, it I think, to, to really affect change in a positive way. And that's that's probably why I, I remain just passionate about it. Is that where you really hang uh, sort of the, the legacy portion of the carrying forward? His music is great, but is it more about the message and the activism that you think is actually more relevant in as well? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I wish it wasn't necessary. I wish things were so much better that we could just sing about <laughs> throw your hands up in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Right. I and mean, I know sometimes on the weekend you got to do that. But, no, right. you know, it's just... If, if I've been shown that, you know, music can affect us, you know, and, and, and that words are powerful and thoughts are things, so then why aren't we singing about and writing about or at least, you know, expressing the world that we do want? Right. You know, please don't say there's a ghetto in heaven. I don't, I'm not trying to stay ghetto. When, it, when I get there, no, I don't want right. to belong to a ghetto. No one deserves to be in the ghetto. You know, I understand that my people are... Uh, just taking pride in who we are, like, yeah, okay, fine, I'm in the ghetto, then I'm claiming it, and I'm still gold, I'm still royal. And yes, you must live your life like it's golden, but we must strive to not, just not stay in the gutter, Mm. you know, with with these expressions. There's there's so many ways to to express ourselves. So you you catch the bug. Um, I read in your bio, age 15, yeah, I was called sorry. yourself a professional. <laughs> you started a record label in '96, I think yeah, it was. A long time ago. I don't know if I got my notes right. It's pretty um, close. Yeah. <laughs> Magpie uh, Records. Magpie Records, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and your career has been varied, not necessarily in the same uh, types of media: right. actor, uh, director, mm-hmm. singer. Mm-hmm fill in the blanks, others. Um, Do you see the direct correlation with the, I mean, I'm not saying you needed to pick one and and only do one, but because the example that was set for you as not being so singularly, only so singularly focused, was that something that you consciously did or just happened to you because you are of that blood and (laughs) and you have that, that uh, drive? I think there's a little of both, but, Probably even more so just, yeah, just I'm conscious of that. I, I'm, I feel like, yeah, we have a responsibility. If you if you can capture people's attention and everything and, you know, yeah, say something hip. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that he, he definitely, he definitely uh, made that happen, <laughs> you know, influenced me to feel like that about it. Well, and, and uh, you have obviously had your own um, involvement in lots of different uh, things. And so tell me about what's special about the Blue Gargoyle organization. Hmm. So the Blue Gargoyle, uh, it's uh, housed in a church, a university church in um, 
on Chicago's on the campus of UC, 57th University. And it is, has a long history, the Blue Gargoyle organization, of, of being um, a community organization that looks out. So if they saw the need was, you know, people maybe needed some free soup meals or something or needed tutoring for their kids or the adults needed to do things to be able to pass the GED, they've always tried to um, come to the aid of the community in that way. And sometimes even just with basic uh, after-school program. Mm. So through the decades, it has, you know, changed uh, board and, you know, uh, leadership, of course. Right. Uh, went defunct for, for many right, years. Right, right. And then we picked it back up, I guess. It hasn't been 10 years since we started mm-hmm. working uh, to bring it back to um, I started trying to have a theater camp there or to just even have um, spoken word kind of, you know, school. Um, they've done fencing in the building. They've tried, you know, tutoring and different things in order to, uh, yeah, there's just not enough places for young people to uh, to learn and and to also have, uh, you know, they definitely have a social justice vibe mm. that that's going to come along with whoever's probably teaching in the building. So lately, of course, and with uh, the pandemic, there hasn't been any activity in that regard. Mm. But we hope that as things do open up, yeah, we'll go back to being able to put on programs. Yeah, and the Blue Gargoyle, like we noticed when in Hyde Park, that neighborhood in Chicago that we spoke of, mm-hmm. um, young people started wanting to hang out there and just became a kind of neutral zone. So then they'd gather and then they'd get too crazy. The first Halloween that it just, it just went berserk and they were the people, the police and everybody businesses were caught off guard. And it was like mayhem. It was like somehow we weren't used to the fact that, Oh, the kids are on social media saying everybody meet up. We're about to just wreck shop in Hyde park. So then the following year, blue gargoyle, we were like out there in orange shirts and, and having to go to these meetings and, and, it's like instead of just treating them like criminals and like we're just going to bring more riot gear. Right. Let's show them how to act. Let's give them things that they can do when they're coming. So so now let's make it a cipher over here in the park and people or basketball over there or you know a dance off or something. Let's do things and have things for them. And okay, you're worried about them throwing eggs. Okay, let's take Murray Park and make an area where it's cool to throw eggs. Or just you know try to meet them. They want to do stuff. Right. Oh, no, no. They, they weren't going for any of that, you know, the insurance and the businesses. And, uh, right. And so it's a struggle. Uh, I bet. It's a struggle of how will we receive our young people, you know? Yeah. Um, you and I have a kid uh, the same age. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it is crazy days, uh, uh, very polarized uh, environments, not even a question I was planning to ask. But uh, I think uh, – you know, one of the things that has fallen to us is setting examples and, and, and trying to make the world better for the next generation. And, and I think you've kind of uh, demonstrated in many ways uh, how you're putting your money where your mouth is in many cases. You, um, you talked uh, about your program. Oh, the, the, the other thing I definitely wanted to ask you about. Um, so in putting this exhibit together, I had the uh, one of the byproducts of this pandemic was when when I reached out to all these amazing musicians, they were home because of the <laughs> you pandemic. Touch with anybody. They were, <laughs> and I don't call it a benefit. Let's call it a byproduct. Okay, Let's just say this is you know I, I don't want to be profiteering right, in any right, way, right. shape or form from a, a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
there, there were lots of reasons why people like Common or Jennifer Hudson would ignore an email from some dope at the Presidential Library saying, I want to do an exhibit about the music from Illinois. There's lots of reasons for them just to go, we don't have time for You're this. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a good timing on my on my uh, my side. One of the people we reached out to, I know you have a connection to, Ramsey Lewis. Mm-hmm. So he's another one of these treasures yep. that I see in the same ilk of your father. You have experience with him. I think he's one of the nicest people on the planet. He and his wife are, and it was a very snowy day in February last year when I went to his house to pick up the materials that he loaned us. And he called me to give me directions on the phone. So it was very surreal. Mm -hmm. I'm driving in the city of Chicago in a big van on a snowy day with Ramsey Lewis giving me directions. Um, Amazing. Um, I would love to hear your... um, your experience about dealing with somebody like with him. I mean, uh, he, you know, he is someone who is revered in, in very similar way to your father's. Where, where do you see some of the similarities of what do you, what do you see or what do you think of when you think of that? Well, um, I, I love Ramsey and his family dearly. And I've uh, had the pleasure of even working with some of his sons, late Kevin mm-hmm. Lewis, rest his soul, mm-hmm. and uh, Frayn, you know, and Bobby. And so, uh, it's, it's interesting when I, uh, I think I mentioned Opportunity Please Knock was the play that Dad did with the Blackstone Rangers in the 60s. Yep. And 67. In 67, May, <laughs> First Press Church. And so Af and I um, found out that, yeah, there's a 45, and we had to go on eBay, and we got one. But there's a 45 on the Ramsell label, mind you. Really? Ramsey Lewis's label. Yeah. And on one side it has all this talk about freedom, and the other side has a song called I'll Be Back. Okay, so two songs that were performed in the Opportunity Please Knock show, and the I'll Be Back song is uh, really about the Vietnam War um, uh, because it's a, it's a soldier singing to his mom, Don't cry, mama. I'll be back. Wow. Don't cry, mama. That's powerful. Now there's no way to act. Yes, I'm going off to war. That's what soldiers are for. Please don't cry anymore don't cry no more i'll be back yeah it's so beautiful. oh man thank man. you yes and so um i found out that ramsell so he was doing that way back then um i know the dad and he probably shared a uh, club billings you know before in mm-hmm. chicago especially um and yeah and then i just i got a chance to work with his sons so so talented we messed around and did all kind of uh, uh, tracks in the studio. Kevin Lewis was quite a genius. And then um, there was a big gap in time, and um, Frayne and his dad had Ivory Pyramid Productions for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, they called, and I they needed me to sing on a song. Somebody else had dropped out or whatever. So I got the second call, right? But I was to be on a song with Jonathan Butler. Mm. And though we were never in the same studio, we... I have a duet with Jonathan Butler. That's amazing. Which led them, the Lewis's, that is, Ramsey and his son, to say, you know, we should probably try to do a project on Maggie and put it out on our, you know, our production company. So the day that I was due to go to Ramsey and Frayne's place called Ivy Pyramid Studios to go start working on my um, demo, three-song demo, was the day we got the call. I'm about to make it sad. Mm-hmm. That my brother had been killed in the car. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. This was in the 90s. Yeah, so this was 96. And uh. um, and so that day I was supposed to really go, that day. And then, uh, of course, they, everybody had heard and they understood, you know, Maggie, take all the time you need. So it took, it was a good couple weeks, not even a couple months because, um, yeah, I needed to focus on some things, you know. Yeah, that was really tragic. <sighs> so um, Frayn had written um, a tune and he thought it, should, it was going to be called Heaven. And he didn't know really what the words were going to be. But uh, because of what had happened, I said, um, You left so much work for us to do. Can't believe we got to do it without you. About my brother. Mm. And though you're not here to see me through, long as I'm living, still making our dreams come true. In autumn leaves fall to the ground. In springtime, they'll come back around. And I know I'll see you again in heaven. Just like the stars that shine up in the sky. Your love shines on me now from heaven. And though I know I won't see you on earth again, I pray to see you someday in heaven. You're going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote a song that says that, too. I know this is not the Maggie Brown sing some songs, but I no. did. I said, for me, fixing a show is like a gumbo. You got to start with some savory stock. Don't need no little pot. Pull out the jumbo. Shine up your rig and give it everything you got. Don't matter if the gig's poorly attended or the raptor's overflowing full of folk. Whatever heart is in my art, I'm going to spend it. Might even do a tune and make your throat get choked. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So good. I was hoping you'd it's do that. Choking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's typical of me to bust into a song. Well, that's awesome. Without invitation. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> Thank for you. I, I, I would have duetted with you, but you don't <laughs> want to hear my voice, let's just say that. Um so your show tonight you call The Legacy, Our Wealth of Music. Yeah. And it's a it's a show that you've done obviously many times before. Mm-hmm. You coined this term edutaining. Is that no, what, what, did what, you, what do you and, use? And I, I I don't get to claim that. Edutainment is something I first heard Oscar Brown Jr. use decades ago. People used to tell me, you better trademark that word. So I know people use it now, and I never did trademark it. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, Oscar Brown was the first person I heard, and we know what it is. It's it's, it's, uh, entertainment not just for the sake of amusement, but, you know, something that might even uplift or teach or, you know, elevate if if at all possible. So um, that's part of his definition of being a hip person dealing with your human improvement potential, right? Like Put out something that, you know, represents something you want to see. And so uh, Legacy was a way for me. I wanted to be a performing artist and was trying to break into it. Dad's off on the road. My older brother, you know, he's he's a badass, so he's getting calls. He's always busy. So, I, you know, I had to kind of f- figure out what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to be a performing artist. And um, I also knew that I wanted to encourage more respect for the power of our music, for what we put out, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to put it in a light that will make you feel like, oh, oh, wow, you know, I got to carry something on. I see what this comes from. I see how it uh, it represents the resilient spirit of of our ancestors and um, creative spirit, you know? And so I want people to feel the pride that I feel about that because then maybe they wouldn't just sell out and sing anything just to make some money. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, but you have to be shown that 
And you have to have an example of, of those alternatives. So I used to always say this. It's not enough to tell people just say no. Say yes to what? Provide the alternative. Right. Don't just tell the kids just say no. What, what, what can I say yes to? Right. Right? So um, legacy is kind of me trying to show what to maybe say yes to or what to want to say yes to. Um, it's edutainment that teaches about the history and evolution of African-American music, taking it from our African roots and those field hollers and work songs of the slaves all the way up to present-day rap and hip-hop. And for those who don't know, when I talk about who was Oscar Brown Jr., I mean, yeah, you could say, you probably find a few other people, maybe from before his lifetime, but uh, he was one of the originators of what we now call rap. Maybe we call him the grandpapa rap. Yeah. One of them, you know, you, you, you can have more than one grandfather. And uh, But people always, you know, they skip right to, they either say Last Poets or Gil Scott Heron. But, um, you know, but if you ask them, he... he he gave them some influence way back when he made an album in 61 with stuff like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I once read back during that short spell I spent in school where every slave said free was supposed to get for slaving 40 acres and a mule. You know, and he just wrapped it with a hip, jazzy right. bass line behind it. So, oh, another thing. I've been watching these shows on television, and there's a show out now that um, I love it. It, it. In the middle of it, They'll do poetry, then, you know, lights will change, suddenly the actor will be speaking, you know, to us in the camera doing poetry. Right. And then it'll and then these dancers will just come out of the, from the extras and everything and, and they're dancing in the in the form of like Les Nubian and all that. Ooh. Uh no, no, not Les Nubian, but Les Twins. Ah. With all the like the extreme body control stuff, you right. know, where they look like they're rubber, but then they look like they're mechanical. Right. <laughs> and so that had these, this group called Venus Electronics in the great nitty-gritty musical in the 80s. Right. That thing that made me run away with the circus and not go back to college in <laughs> Urbana, because I stayed here, working on great nitty-gritty. And I'm telling you, if had he lived and had he gotten um, with the kind of people, oh, man, the young people that are producing stuff now, Man. Who knows what would have happened? Who knows? Yeah. I know I know he would have he would have been wanting stuff like that because he liked that kind of stuff where like, hey, it might pop into something else in the missing and then go back to the thing. And then, right. Oh man. So yeah, I uh Well we're I, seeing that. Uh artists are doing long form, very artistic videos and materials. You know, Beyonce and, and everybody else mm -hmm. are that's that's the future of music, isn't it? I mean yeah, I think the so. the traditional I made 10 songs, we're going to put it on a record and put it out. It seems to be... That was something, right. That's how yes. it used to be. Yeah. It's kind of like eight tracks. <laughs> we so. do have an eight track in the exhibit, yeah, too. Yeah, I saw, I noticed. <laughs> oh, we, we went online and found an eight track of Daddy's album. Did you? Yeah, because we, you know, we want to have an exhibit. And yeah. so we know that these things, yes, we're going to have an exhibit. Oh, we absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm be calling on you, too. Like, oh, yeah. You I, and I, yep. I, I am, I'm actually... I feel very privileged to have been a part of this project. I, I feel like it was just an opportunity for us to shine a light on important people and important work and make sure people find a little bit of pride about the music that organically grew out of the soil here, something in the water, whatever it is you described at the beginning. Um, that's exactly what we were hoping to, to do for. I, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your story and your father's legacy with us uh, here on this podcast, but also tonight at our performance. Uh, we're all looking forward to seeing this show. And uh, uh, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Oh, I appreciate being here. I really love this exhibit and um, hope to come back. 
This has been the State of Sound podcast produced by the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. To hear other episodes and more information about the exhibit, The State of Sound, A World of Music from Illinois, visit musicfromillinois.com.